0: I was just contacted by uh, uh, three of their teams about whether I would be interested in the job and of going. And uh, I just uh, kind of looked at it, and the uh, you know it was uh, good financially. I liked the idea of of coaching in what would be the off season and uh, having the uh, other you know, football season off to where I could be, uh, watching players, scouting players and doing that, that way. I just kind of thought it was an interesting idea. And the, uh, ownerships that I talked to had plenty of money. So the, it looked at the, at the time, it didn't turn out this way. It looked at the <laughs> time like they could hang on a while and, and, uh, that would be good for football. I talked to NFL coaches and other people, and they all thought, you know, more jobs for everybody, and it might be a good deal.
1: And and one of those guys I'm sure you spoke to was George Allen because he was really a recruiter for a lot of players anyway. Like Jim Kelly made the decision to go to the USFL because he had his choice of which teams to go to as opposed to being drafted by the Buffalo Bills. And you mentioned the owners in L.A. was Bill Daniels. He had plenty of money and, and some of the other teams as well. Now, with the league had the TV contracts and that was the big thing. They had contracts with ABC and ESPN. First talk about the fan perception, because LA was one of the markets where it was kind of rough as opposed to markets like Jacksonville, which came around a year later, and Michigan and Memphis and, and the Generals. Well, LA was moved to,
0: to, I mean LA was in San Diego when they first started talking to me. And then it became L.A. And, uh, you know, so I, that did make me, uh, there were things that made me a little nervous. And some of the NFL guys I talked to that were older, one in particular was Paul Brown. And Paul Brown said to me, I know, he said, I, he said you're young enough to do this. He said, uh, somebody older would not want to go through what you're going to go through as far as, uh, some of the stadiums not full. Some of the teams reaching crises in the middle of the season and all that. He said he went through it himself and uh, in the early days. And uh, you know, so I was fairly warned, but I also was coming from the Canadian league where uh, things weren't always smooth and where uh, there were some uh, question marks during the season and so on. So I thought, you know, it was an opportunity to branch out and get. Uh, my feet wet in American
1: rules and all of that and and you talk about you know it being a risk in everything, and certainly in l a they had the trouble of the attendance. Meanwhile, talk about the talent level because the talent level, I think the NFL really didn't give the USFL a credit uh, if as I went back and did my research on some of the quotes like a like a Mike Brown and and a Jim Shaft from Kansas City. They basically thought once the USFL folded, it'd be the talent level would be really nominal. And that really wasn't the case when you look at the names that came over from the USFL. And, and two guys, well, one guy you know in particular, JoJo Townsend had a great impact. Uh, uh, Gary Zimmerman was another guy. And, of course, later Steve Young, the impact he had on the NFL because he's in the Hall of Fame like a Jim Kelly. So the talent level certainly didn't get the respect from the NFL or, or the recognition. Do you agree with that assessment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh,
0: that's the the one thing that panned out to be true that uh, not only Paul Brown told me, but but other uh, people in the NFL was that, um, you know, pretty soon somebody's going to throw for 300 yards and somebody's going to do this and that and you're going to end up, you you there are good players out there that get uh, either missed by the NFL just because they go against great players and don't get, Training camp, or uh, just because it it takes a stage for them to demonstrate their ability. Not all players just are great because a scout watches them run the forty and and do a few uh, drills. So, uh, you know, we, that turned out to be true. That JoJo Townsell was a very fine football player, and Tom Ramsey, and there were, uh, uh, you know, Gary Zimmerman, excellent. Uh, there's a there's some good. Players there also that didn't go on and play in the NFL, but were just good athletes and good players. and I was amazed at uh, how quickly things came together. Uh, the de- job that Jim Mora did in Philadelphia is one that stands out for me. Where you know uh, it starts off rocky for all of us, and then uh, they put you know they put things together, and and you end up having if if you had good coaches and a few good players it out that, uh, you know, it was a pretty
1: good pretty good league. Talk about that first year, Hugh, because when I talked to Jim Moore, initially George Perlis had the job, and then Carl Peterson called him up, and basically Jim Moore came in there two weeks uh, before camp started, he was meeting his coordinators on the plane. He said it was a little chaotic, but it, it wasn't too bad. Talk about your situation uh, with the Express going in there, this, this new venture, of course, uh, the Canadian Football League plays in the spring, in, in the summer, fall into into early winter, and then of course the World League. Uh, talk about your experience that, that those first few months going into the 1983 season with the LA Express.
0: Well, my my uh, experience going into it personally was I I thought it, I, everybody had their own unique uh, experience, but mine was that I, I first of all wasn't interested until our season was over and then eventually uh, two teams came back to me and said we'll take you even under that circumstance so I was going to be coaching in Canada and couldn't get uh, you know wasn't even going to pay attention to it couldn't get it going and so they were going to have to do it some other way and the way that the LA Express decided was to let Tom Fears uh, be the you know trying to gather up players and r- r- kind of running uh, from a football perspective, running the show, and uh, that I was just going to uh, do the very best I could from uh, one week after the CFL season was over. And so I we I still coached, I think, after I had signed to go with the LA Express, I still coached eight, maybe six games or eight games with, uh, I guess eight counting the playoffs with, uh, with Edmonton, and, and we still won the Grey Cup when I signed with the LA Express, there was some debate whether I should stay on and coach even from the uh, management of the Eskimos side. But when I did that, then I show up in LA and it happens to be one of those years where it was unusual rain. And so when we went to training camp, we had, we ruined, uh, or, uh, ruined fields, you know, trying to get we were getting all this rain, and we had uh, a few tryout camps, and I was amazed at how many people there were that could run.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so you're talking uh, about the rains and everything, but you were amazed at how many people came out?
0: Yeah, uh, we, we even one time just looking for, at kickers. We had, and it's in my mind. We had over seventy guys come just in an ad. We were just trying to sell tickets, and so we did some publicity camps. You know where it wasn't as where a guy really had to have a lot of qualifications to come to camp, mm-hmm. and and uh, we did one just for kickers. And we had people, we had old people, <laughs> young people, and you know trying out. I'm, and I just remembered being uh, amazed number of people that uh, had, a, you know, some measure of talent. Not that they were ready to play professional football, but that they were uh, good enough that they could come to a camp and, and, uh, and, you know, you'd have to sort them out. And a lot right. of them were easy to sort out. But it was just kind of, it was fun for me at that I'm not sure I'd want to go through it again, but it was fun for me, just all of it. And then to put a team together from, basically from scratch. And then, uh, you know, they, we had players that had played in the NFL that, that were kind of at the end of their careers. And uh, that did real well too. I'm I'm struggling right now because I wasn't really prepared for your phone call. But
1: oh, okay, uh, I, I, I mean, you know I'm
0: trying to remember. Yeah. We had a well, quarterback. Well, you had, you, you had, oh, Ray. It was a guy named. His last name was Ray. That had played at USC and then had gone on and played for.
1: Um, I guess Tampa Bay, where, uh, where the uh, you know his coaches had got moved on. Oh, Mike to Ray. Bay. Mike, Mike Ray. Ray. Yeah, I'm looking at the yeah. roster right now. You had a yeah. kicker too, and you really opened up uh, for the two Zendejas brothers in the NFL too. If I'm if I'm correct, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Ma- uh, yeah. Was it Maxman Zendejas, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm I had,
0: uh, I had, uh, yeah, and I had one of them myself when I got to uh, Houston Oilers. Mm-hmm. I had a cousin or brother or something of one of the.
1: There was like three Zendaya's brothers, I remember, because I remember Chris Berman on ESPN used to like just he used to confuse them all the time. (laughs) Yeah, as part of his gig. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, at any point, did you, when you when you had the job, when you took the job, obviously the attendance, you're sitting in a stadium that holds over ninety thousand fans, and you know, let's face it, sometimes it was kind of echoey in there at times. Did you ever wonder what, what the hell did I get myself into, or were you satisfied? That you, took this you know, job. I I
0: thought uh, um, no, I thought we had a chance. You know, because uh, I, I I thought that we had a chance. Um, I I liked the job that uh, Steve Spurrier was doing at Tampa Bay, and I mm-hmm. thought the attitude when we went in there and played the the fans were great and stuff. And I thought you know, there's a chance if we get people to the right places and the right stadiums. And, uh, I mean, I was just there one year, so I have to go and say, you know, during the time I was there, I thought it had a chance to uh, materialize. And when, at the end of the season, um, I was prepared to go another, another year with it. And the owner came to me. I mean, that's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. side story, but it wouldn't apply to you. But the, our ownership changed at the end of the first season, even though Bill Daniels had plenty of money. He more or less came to me and asked permission to sell the team just because he felt so badly because he had begged me to, to uh, leave Edmonton and
1: come to L.A. Did that lead you to take the, the Houston job? It, w- it was Bill Daniels? It did, it did. okay. So you, yeah, if he, he hadn't. If he, he had it i was prepared to stick with it another year so you so you, you basically felt this new ownership wasn't going to was it going to spend the money or what was you just feeling with the new ownership that that you didn't want to stay oh, there i had a i had a i mean i
0: i was i i was asked to stay on and i went and visited with the new owner and uh you know right now i can't even say his name but is yeah.
1: it is it alan Harmon? was that the name no hold on let me check oh
0: here. no alan Harmon was a good buddy of okay. Bill Daniels was there when i was there i liked alan Harmon. Okay, yeah. but but they he sold it bill daniels sold the team to the guy remember that had
1: all Alden, the oldenburg is that the name william oldenburg yeah. yeah
0: yeah and i just that his his vision of the future of the team was so far in contrast uh, to mine that then i called back to uh, the, I called back to Houston and said maybe I would be. In, you know, at first I had turned down talking to them, and then I called back to them and said, you know, uh, if that job's still open, I'd be interested in talking to you.
1: What? At what point did Houston contact you for? The, was it during the? Well, that it was 80- all through. It was all
0: through uh, Lee Steinberg, who was mm-hmm. who had kind of uh, helped recruit me, I guess, to
1: L.A. So you turned down the job initially because you wanted to stay with the Express and see it through, and then once new ownership came in, you said, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll take a look at that uh, Houston job. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I turned down the the interview. Or I turned down. They asked if I was interested in that job, and I said uh, maybe next time, but not this time. And then uh, just a matter of. I, I It seems to me just a matter of. And I really, I...
1: Could could you share what that amount was, or you'd rather not?
0: I in my mind, oh, I don't mind. In my mind, it was like seventy seven thousand dollars or something. It was like uh, one and a half percent of three million, whatever that is.
1: So. That's not a bad amount for back then. What was what was your contract as far as when you went to the Express? As far as salary, was it very competitive, very good? You know, how would, how would you rate the salary? Uh
0: wasn't that good, but in those days' terms, it
1: was very competitive. Mm-hmm. And and at what point, when you went to no, I'm sorry, when you went to Houston, now you obviously had a guy when you were with Edmonton by the name of Warren Moon. Now you were responsible for bringing Warren Moon to the NFL. Is that correct? Yes. And were you surprised though? If it wasn't for you, would Warren Moon have ever got to the NFL?
0: Oh no, I think Warren would have got to the NFL, but he uh, he wouldn't have made as much money, <laughs> you know, first, well, he may have not got to the NFL if, if, uh, in fact, he, if he had never played or something, but when he came to Canada, once after about, uh, three to four years, it was pretty obvious he could play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Steinberg and Moon and, uh, and, a little bit me were all involved in a strategy that we signed him right before the NFL draft and made a big publicity out of it and avoided him getting drafted so he was like Jim Kelly was. He could go to any team in the whole NFL because he had never been drafted Mm -hmm. and so he, he was the first really superstar free agent in the NFL and so uh, he tried. He talked about leaving two years before he left, and I told him if he didn't go, you know, if he, the, the money that was being offered, I said was uh, chicken feed compared to what you'll be offered if you hang around another couple of years, because the NFL salaries are going up like crazy, and mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up you know, making millions
1: of dollars instead of hundreds
0: of thousands of dollars when he
1: signed. And, and you talk about the salaries if Warren waited it out, and when I was talking to a lot of former players, USF, NFL salaries doubled because of the USFL, because basically the NFL was giving a shot to veterans like Brian Seip and, you know, a, a Bobby Leopold, another shot, and they were signing players out of college, and they were really going after the quarterbacks. And, and one thing I didn't know that your team, the L.A. Express, their, their first selection, and a lot of people don't know this, was Dan Marino. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he was drafted number 27. Do you remember meeting with Dan at any point?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we took, we, uh, Daniel sent his uh, private jet to pick him up. I didn't actually go out to pick him up, but when he arrived, uh, I was there at the airport, and uh, Lee Majors, and I, spent a weekend with Dan Marino, uh, you know, just having uh, meals, and we went to some um, some Hollywood event. I can't even remember. I remember the kind of being there, but I can't remember exactly <laughs> what happened.
1: What, what was Lee Major's involvement? Was he a friend of Well, uh, Dan? he was a he was a uh, minority. Uh, yeah, he would. They they gave him a percentage of the team to okay. be to say he was an owner. You
0: know, right. And uh, I, so he traveled with us, a t- especially when we went to Tampa Bay to mm-hmm. play because...
1: Uh, Burt Reynolds was the owner of that. Bert
0: Reynolds, that. yeah, was the owner there. So we had the big bet, which we won. <laughs> <laughs> but we had the big bet, which was a jacket or something, you know. <laughs> I can't remember. But we had a... a b- between Majors and uh, Burt Reynolds, I think they bet their jackets or something on oh, okay. the game. And anyway, that, that was kind of
1: the... The show show business right at, Right. It's, my... good, it's good PR that's for sure you know yeah. so, so going back to Marino you, you you wind him and dined him in LA and everything and took him around the town and what was his reception to the league
0: very very positive he you know he probably his father or his agent told him you know uh, this can do nothing but help you as, a, as far as your value but his uh, you know he uh, gave us a good look. At the same time, we had, uh, Tom Ramsey, uh, coming out of school who we liked very much. And, uh, you know, we, that was, we went to plan B when, uh, Dan decided that he was going to wait, uh,
1: for the NFL draft. Did you think at any point that he was going to sign with you? Did he? Did he say, "I'll think uh, think about it. Uh, I'll get back to you"? Did he say no right away? I'm, I, I know I'm going back some years, so I'm just trying to get the, yeah, the details. I don't in. have a clear memory. I mean, okay. he didn't say no.
0: I have a very clear memory that he didn't say no right away.
1: But he was very positive. You would say towards towards the whole yeah. thing, very receptive. Yeah,
0: and he was very just like you would expect him to be now when he's much more mature. But he was. He, I thought he was really mature then in the way he handled it. So. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to say something that even uh, if if he
1: knew he was going to the NFL, he never let on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know anything about this. John Elway was also courted by the USFL. Is that correct?
0: I'm not familiar
1: okay. with that happening. I mm-hmm. I know I knew John's father real well,
0: and uh, we you know we had uh, coaching connections and stuff, and I knew John's father right to the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know exactly what John's involvement in, was. I know who his agent was. I knew his agent, and and uh, but we never discussed John with our team.
1: Were any numbers discussed with Dan Marino at the time, or was just trying to? I wouldn't.
0: You know, the honest truth. If you, anybody that knows me would know that How many how many
1: come on how many great cups have you won you like the New York Yankees up there let somebody else give, give them a chance to win come on Hugh <laughs> I don't remember the numbers of what was offered to uh, Marino but uh,
0: you know I know that it would have been uh, it would sound puny today but it would have sure. been a lot more than any NFL quarterbacks were making then
1: and You know, talking to some, obviously the big names, I spoke to Jim Kelly and he was ready to sit out. Obviously, he went to the USFL because he didn't want to sign with the Bills. And then he was ready to sit out a season to become a free agent in in 1986 because he didn't want to play for the Bills and wound up doing that. But talking to guys like a a Bart Oates and a Tom Thayer, they said going to the USFL really helped them work on their skills because college back then... Was mostly run offenses. In Bart Oates' case, he he was at BYU, so he was a pass off, a pass defender. But but a guy like a Tom Thayer, he said he learned how to pass block. He spent three years, or actually two years, under George Allen to really work on his skills. So by the time these guys went to the NFL, Tom Thayer went right onto the offensive line for the Chicago Bears. They went to the Super Bowl. Bart Oates in '85, four guys himself, Maurice Carthon, Chris Godfrey. Sean Lendetta helped the Giants win a Super Bowl in 86. So the impact not guys just like a Jim Kelly and, and a Steve Young, but the impact of offensive and defensive linemen like Reggie White was tremendous on the NFL. Tremendous.
0: Outstanding. I agree with everything you said. I, I don't have a lot to add to it. I know we dealt with Sean Lendetta when I was at Houston because he was then ready to go to the NFL, but um, I know that Uh, those guys were all very significant players. I remember, I'll tell you something that might be interesting to you. I remember seeing a game in Houston after I was coaching the Oilers between the uh, Gamblers and the Express. And our whole coaching staff went to the game just for the fun of it. We sat down in the end zone and just watched the game. And, and, uh, you know, we all were saying to each other how they had... They had several players that were better than our players, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the passing game, and it, receivers, and that, you know, that that between the two teams. And it, it wasn't that we didn't uh, think we could beat them; it was that just how many good players they had, and how um, you know the NFL at that time had a little bit of arrogance about uh,
1: their attitude towards the USFL. And and when you look at when the league folded. The teams that invested in USFL players, certainly the Redskins. I mean, they, Doug Williams was one name. Uh, Frank Saunders, uh, uh, Gary Clark, uh, Kelvin Bryant. They invested in USFL players. The Giants invested in USFL players. The four names I mentioned before. The Vikings, Keith Millard, Anthony Carter invested. Uh, the New Orleans Saints with Bobby A. Bear, uh, Vaughn Johnson, Sam Mills. Uh, the teams that invested in USFL players did quite well from the, the mid to, to late 80s until the early 90s. And the teams that didn't invest in USFL players kind of like missed the skilled players. you agree with that? Absolutely. They missed a good uh, place to look. And,
0: um, you know, they, the lesson learned from that, too, was that uh, when the USFL folded, NFL teams started watching the Canadian League even closer than they had before because they... they their lesson was out there that hey there's good players and uh, some of them are late bloomers and some of them just need more time
1: and and going you know now you're obviously in a management kind of situation here and in my research and this this I was totally unaware of I mean when the USFL went to trial what was your initial thoughts when you first heard that the USFL was going to trial against the NFL and was looking to go to a false schedule after building up a solid foundation in the spring? Ratings were good. They had the contracts. What was your thoughts when when they decided to go to the false schedule, even though you were with the Oilers at the time? Uh, I was kind of, the one thing I was just
0: kind of caught in the middle because the Oilers came to me and said, you know, the, uh, both sides want to uh, interview you for, background for the this trial and uh, you know so i, I just uh, you know i just told people what i honestly thought but i had no i had no inside information or anything that i think was damaging to either side i think, i just uh, but i was it was i was in a unique position because i had worked for one league and then at the time was working for a different league and i was uh,
1: were you call? Would you call to trial?
0: No, I wasn't. Okay, you weren't, weren't. Okay, I wasn't. But I and I, I think that proves the point that I didn't have anything <laughs> significant. But I still, I still felt a little bit awkward because I, I was loyal to the USFL. I thought that they, you know, as far as my ownership, they did everything they said they would do, and it worked out pretty much the way they thought it would work out. And then all of a sudden, he. he felt like he needed to sell the team and and that uh, you know was a surprise to me but then when I was in Houston he came up Bill Daniels came up to uh, we went up to Denver to play uh, I mean to scrimmage with him for three days during training camp and he came out uh, for a full day and watched practice and we went to lunch together and everything and I just had a good relationship
1: with him uh did you bring any uh, USFL players when you were in Houston? Did you uh, cuz really the exodus hadn't started obviously, but did you were you able to get any US No, known? uh not
0: directly. not directly. Um we as time went by uh
1: Mike I Rogier, I know joined joined uh, uh the Oilers later on. Right. Correct, and right. while well, I was there when Mike uh uh
0: came over, but I'm but I'm some of that was just uh that that wasn't because I didn't have him in L.A., so it wasn't right. a, a direct deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you this: you know, and I've got mixed signals from people. The the move to the fall, a lot of people blame Donald Trump for this. Are, are you in that category? If they would have stayed in the spring, things would have worked nicely. Because from what I understand, and, and this was in again in the research that I found out through the court documents that ABC had an offer on the table for $170 million after the 86 season, and ESPN also had a three-year deal worth $70 million. With that on the table and you working in management now, does that look like, uh, uh, obviously, a mistake that the league made by not staying in the spring and going to the fall?
0: Yeah, my attraction to it all along was the spring, and I thought that that was the way to go, but uh, I don't, uh, you know... I didn't have all the knowledge that the people had that changed it to the fall, so I don't know if I want to criticize them or not. But I just say my perspective on it was that this is different. It's it's a time period that at that time had a big lapse in TV. That there was opportunity to to be there if if we had uh, admitted who we were, and uh, I felt we could have made it if we if we continued to say, well, we're going to, you know, if we acted like we were going to blow the NFL out, then, uh, that's when it got messy. But if we had come in and said, here's an alternative and even had some working relationship eventually with the NFL, then, uh, people would look, would have looked at it as a, um, you know, an outstanding entertainment value at a time of year when, uh, people that were, uh, really interested in football could have fun with it uh, it would that that segment to me would have worked the thing that uh, uh, didn't work was if if uh, you wouldn't admit that uh, players eventually might want to work their way to the other league and so I think in a way that's where uh, arena football found a niche it's not You know, uh, ours would have been bigger time and a better deal than arena football. But arena football has found a niche by saying this is a different game and a different type of uh,
1: entertainment at a different time of year. And you look at the TV contracts, and as the years go by, certainly the losses that the USFL accumulated over the years would have been washed away tenfold. By the TV contracts that were on the table and the value of the franchises, even if franchises had to consolidate and maybe put 12 teams as opposed to 18 teams, certainly the losses would have been mitigated by by staying on and holding on for for, uh, a few more years. Because, you know, it seems like every five years we have another spring league popping up, of course, the disaster of the XFL. But you, of course, can speak about this. The CFL expanded into the uh, southern U.S. back in the mid-90s. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, we did with uh, temporarily, and we d- we did it as a as a league saving exercise, which it, di- it actually worked for us. But it was uh, it worked for us in that the the expansion fees kept us alive long enough to get strong enough, and then we negotiated a deal with the NFL to where we have some exchange of players and so on, and we cooperate rather than fight and. So, from, in a way, our expansion to the state saved us, although, uh, you know, the teams themselves didn't uh, survive long. Sure. But I agree with your point of view on the USFL. I think that if they'd, if, if they'd hung in there and been satisfied to play in the spring, uh, I think there was a niche.
1: Felt like it had a chance, and and again in some of the research I did, and I, I didn't I didn't know this that apparently the NFL made an offer to the USFL to stay in the spring, knock off the trial, and the NFL will give give the USFL three hundred million dollars. Were you aware of anything like that? No, you I never heard about that. Yeah, okay. I found I found that out in some of the research I did, which I found, which is kind of astounding. But I, I guess Donald Trump was leading the charge at the time, and he wanted himself an NFL team, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think that's about it as far as questions that I have. I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to add or any story. The only other thing I
0: know that I think was of interest is that that, that I'm, I'm uh, 99% sure of this. I wasn't in the room, but I was very close to people that told me that they offered, the USFL offered Roselle uh, $13 million bonus. As the commissioner. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a million dollars per club plus a million dollars, and at that time, I think, and and uh,
1: that they wanted that he. Uh, this is before they actually
0: the... cons- considered it, because he had, you know, back then mm-hmm. the, those salaries weren't what they are no, now. No, no,
1: and no. And he
0: had no, he had no real big estate for his family or anything, and. Sure. Uh, that 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 was something that at least turned his head.
1: And from what I understand, I also interviewed Ed Garvey, the head of the NFLPA, and they actually brought Ed in on the owners' meetings. I don't know if you have any recollection of that, to see as far as the, the salary cap and everything to keep that in place. And, Ed, of course, being with the NFLPA, knew that another league would help boost up salaries, so he was in favor of it. But I was—I I had no idea about the uh, Pete Rosell offer. So that was before the league started up? They offered him yeah. a commissionership? Really?